What is going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Very Cold Lasagna, the podcast that houses a safe and open listening platform for all the casual, cold, and dumb takes on the world of pro wrestling and sports. I'm your host, Dylan Lasagna. Welcome to today's episode, episode number 95 of this freezing cold podcast that houses the icy and spicy lasagna in that very cold fridge. And today, we got a good show for you all. I mean, obviously, it's almost the dawn of a new league year in the NFL, so happy new league year, NFL! (laughs) And hopefully, you will come sooner than later for the NFL season in fall. But anyway, we have the meat of the potatoes, our main subject of the day, and that is part three of our March Madness here on Vertical Lasagna, and that is our 2021 NFL season recaps. We'll be continuing on with our season recaps with the six teams that were just this close, just this close to the NFL playoffs. But then they pulled a Jim Mora and said, Playoffs? Playoffs? What? You'll talk playoffs? Yes. Literally, those teams, those six teams that we're going to be talking about here today on this episode. But before we get into all that, obviously, we got to make some some corrections here. As you saw throughout the clips um, throughout the week, I had to make a couple of corrections because, well, some things have changed. Things change <laughs> around the NFL. And obviously, I had to update some things. Like after the clip, after I record the episodes, obviously when I made the previous episode, it was well before these things happened. So I had to go back in. Well, not obviously not before the episode, after the episode was published, but when the clips, when I uploaded the clips onto YouTube, I had to go in, make a correction and say, Hey, this was recorded after I said these comments. So just wanted to make it out there. But obviously I... I'm going to make up my promise and address those corrections here in full. So with that being said, there are a lot of things that happened well, well after, uh, after a previous episode, episode 94, where we were talking about, um, teams like the Denver Broncos, the Seattle Seahawks, um, the Washington football team, literally half of the teams, literally half of the teams, actually more than half of the teams that I talked about in the previous episode, they literally did some things. They literally um, made some moves literally right after I recorded that episode. So we're here to rectify that here today with some corrections because there was some buzz. It was literally free agency frenzy literally the week before the new league year rang. So anyway, let's do a little bit of rapid roundup. Uh, before we get into the main uh, subject for today, um, starting with uh, Deshaun Watson, you know, nearly a year ago, he was facing uh, charges, lawsuits for um, more than I think it was a, a large number of sexual allegations. Well, this past this past Friday, um, I I'm, I'm trying to be careful with my words here because it's a very t- touchy matter, and you know I don't want to say something the the wrong words, so. Um, it was ruled Friday um, by a grand jury that Deshaun Watson is not going to face criminal charges uh, for sexual allegations, uh, for those sexual allegations. But obviously, the um, we there's still some action that could possibly take place. Um, but it all remains to be seen. But that those I think um, I think that was the thing that teams were looking for whether he's going to face criminal charges. But that was not the case, and now teams are rapidly piling in, um, pulling, uh, putting in their 
uh, trade interests in Watson again, like the Saints, the Panthers, um, the Steelers, those teams that need a quarterback. And, you know, Deshaun, Mar uh, Deshaun Watson's trade market is really heating up. And, you know, I think sooner or later that Watson is going to find a new home, you know, just as long as this, this these legal matters resolve um, resolve in whatever shape or form that his, his legal team can do. I mean, not saying that, oh, I, I, I approve of Watson in whatever behavior he was in, but just saying... You have to, until he's proven guilty of what he did, then what else can we, what, what more can we say? Anyway, moving on to the next, the next couple of news items that we had during the week of craziness. And, and the last time we, we were um, on the air, Aaron Rodgers is staying with the Green Bay Packers. He's finally made a decision. He finally made a decision this past week. He's staying with the Packers. Um, however, he hasn't really decided yet on a contract, but he, eventually he will. So Aaron Rodgers is going to stay with the Packers. Um, and he's right now he's working with uh, on a contract to free up some cap space um, so that, um, they can get a long-term deal done with Devontae Adams, who was franchise tagged by uh, Green Bay. And they could sign some other um, key in-house free agents. So Rodgers staying with the Packers. That was one domino to fall um, early this, this past week. And that domino led to more dominoes <laughs> because, well, the the domino that overshadowed the first domino was Russell Wilson. Yes, Russell Wilson got traded to the Denver Broncos. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. What a spicy meatball that was. So the Seattle Seahawks finally did it. They finally uh, packaged Russell Wilson off to a different team, going to the mile high. The, the Denver Broncos finally heard what I said. They finally, I guess they saw what I said and lit up lit up the shiniest of quarterback signals, their own version of the bat signal, and they got their quarterback. They finally got their quarterback in Russell Wilson. So a massive deal that happened this past week. And the Seahawks, they got a big a big haul for Wilson in return. They got two first round picks, including this year's ninth overall pick that Denver had. Um, a 2023 first round pick, multiple day two picks, uh, including this year in, in 2023. They also got Drew Locke and Noah Fant, their, um, the Broncos tight end. So uh, kind of a, uh, you know, kind of a, <laughs> you give, but you got to give something back kind of deal for, for Denver. And then also that same day, you know, kind of a, it, it truly kind of felt like an end in an era because Bobby Wagner, the, the Seahawks linebacker, the last, the last gasp, like the last key piece of the Legion of Boom was released that same day. So damn, it truly is the end in the era, but Pete Carroll's still there. I'm going to lead that rebuild. So yikes. So for the Broncos though, good shit, good shit. And, you know, Russell Wilson's coming in with a talented group with, you know, Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, Javante Williams. And then as long as you rehaul that offensive line and you got the money to do it and you kind of have to find a tight end, though, um, this Broncos team, this is, <laughs> this is going to be a wild ride, especially in that AFC West. And then there's some other things that happen. You know, Carson Wentz getting shipped out of Indianapolis just after one season, going to become commander Carson yes he's gonna be a commander in Washington you know Carson Wentz 
getting traded to Washington for multiple day two picks and, you know, kind of an indictment on how Carson Wentz is viewed nowadays um, by uh, certain NFL teams like the Philadelphia Eagles and the Indianapolis Colts. You know, he's kind of like kind of becoming the Russell, Russell Westbrook of the NFL now, especially considering, you know, he's being shipped off this um, this much in, in the early in like in what two years. Oof. So for Washington, I mean, I guess it solves their quarterback problems um, to a slight degree. But, you know, hopefully Ron Rivera gives them a little attitude adjustment, you know, do, 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 do. Hopefully, hopefully. Meanwhile, you know, in Bears football county, they actually traded Khalil Mack. They're they're def- they're one of the key pieces to that defensive line. Khalil Mack is going to the LA Chargers. Hopefully, not going to be clippering it up like the Chargers did this past season. So, the Chargers gave up a 2022 second round pick and a 2023 sixth round pick to get Khalil Mack from the Bears. So, for Chicago, I mean. It frees up some cap space, but now they have to address some. Uh, they have to address this replacement, but you get some uh, cap relief in the in the long term future. For the Chargers, they get a key piece in the defensive line, and hopefully get a run stopper and someone to help out Joey Bosa as well. So, kind of a win win for both sides. So we'll see what happens there for LA, and not not a not a trade of sorts, but the Raiders. Got it. Kind of got an important deal done. Uh, they get they resigned or they not resigned, but they gave an extension, a contract extension to their Pro Bowl defensive end Max Crosby. Four he got four years, nearly ninety nine million dollars. It's like ninety eight point ninety eight. Why don't we just call it ninety nine? I don't know why they have to do these fancy numbers. But anyway, Max Crosby got a huge payday, and well, this is probably gonna be like what the standard for. Um, NFL, <laughs> NFL defensive ends. I'm just gonna imagine what Nick Bosa's uh, contract extension is gonna be like. Oh boy! But you know, the, for the Raiders, they get their uh, key, their key piece of the defensive line locked up long term. You know, good, uh, good signing right there. And then last but not least, well, the Cowboys. I don't know what they did. I don't know what they were doing here. I mean, sure, they had to get rid of him, but for this little man. So the Cowboys, they they had to get rid of Amari Cooper, so they traded him to the the land, Cleveland, Cleveland. They traded him to the Cleveland Browns for very little. Yes, very little. They only got a 2022 fifth and sixth round pick in return. Wow. I mean, Amari Cooper's yeah, he's kind of overrated. Um, he's he's kind of mid. Um, but I guess you pair him up with a mid quarterback like Baker Midfield. So, man, that's rough. That's <laughs> really rough. Um, for the Cowboys, you know, just to get that little in return, and you know, I would expect maybe a third round pick. But damn, that's so little. Um, but I mean, you get you get some some cap relief, I guess. And I mean, the Cowboys already have uh a top receiver in CD lamb and you hope that you get Michael Gallup back, um, in, for, in for agency, you hope you lock him up in a long-term deal. But you know, if you're Jerry Jones, the GM, yeah, you, this, this, this is not good. This is not a good deal for the Browns. Well, you still have some things to address future Dylan also interjecting here just a couple hours after all I broke out that news. 
We also had Kirk Cousins of the Minnesota Vikings agreeing to a one-year big, big extension, $30 million over, actually $33 million to be exact. Yes, big extension for Kirk Cousins. How does he keep fleecing the Minnesota Vikings of all that money? So he gets to stay till 2023, and he also has a no-trade clause. So yes, Minnesota um, gets to settle for more mediocrity under Kirk Cousins. And perhaps the biggest news of all that could trump the entire offseason, Tom Brady. Yes, Tom Brady is announcing that he is unretiring. Yes, Tom Brady is coming out of retirement to play, who knows, maybe one, two, three more seasons. I don't know how many seasons, however long he wants to play. All we know is Tom Brady is coming back to play another season in the NFL, unretiring. It only took him two months, or actually a month, to finally decide that he wants to come back and play another season in the NFL. So it's going to be his 23rd season for Tom Brady. And holy hell, holy hell. We'll see what happens with Tom Brady. What's what's going to happen in his 23rd season. He's coming back with the Bucks, And at least the Bucks for the Bucks. It's going to be, well, you know, they don't really have to answer um, much questions about quarterback, at least for now. But, you know, at some point in time, you got to address that question in the future. But for now... You have Tom Brady back in the lineup, but good thing, good things popping, little things stopping for Tampa Bay in 2022. Now that you have Brady back under center, but then again, what do you um, what do you um, know? What's gonna happen with Brady? Is is his play gonna be the same? Is it gonna decline a bit? We don't know. We don't know. All it um, we know though is that Tom Brady and the Bucks are back together, and that should feel good for Tampa Bay. Anyway, back to past Dylan and this current episode of Very Cold Lasagna. That was your news roundup. That was your free Disney craziness. Now, obviously, there are probably some you know big moves that happened um, by uh, by the time after I record this episode. But um, if there are any crazy things, any crazy things that happen, I will address it um, at some point, be it on the YouTube channel of Very Cold Lasagna or in the next episode of of this podcast. But anyway. What were the big moves that stood out to you? Uh, what were the you know the crazy things? Did these affect your team, um, or did it affect you as a fan? Let me know. Let me know. But anyway, we're gonna move on to the main meat and potatoes of today, and that is part three of our March Madness, and that is the 2021 NFL season and the team recaps part tres part three, and we're gonna be taking a look at the six teams that were just so so close. They were so, so close to the playoffs, but they just couldn't get it done. They just missed the mark by just a wee bit. Just a wee bit. So we're going to be looking at six teams that were just so close, but they couldn't get that far. So that being said, let's take a look at the six teams that couldn't get it done in 2021. Let's begin. So we begin part three of our 2021 NFL season recaps by taking a look at the team that's off, that was often called the ass wipes. The team that was often called the toilet managers of the NFL. Or as most often called them. And what I also like to call them. The skid marks of the NFL. You know skid marks. You know the thing that you see on your underwear. That brown piece of, of, of like wipe. That you, that you see when you forget to wipe your ass with toilet paper. Yes. The skid marks of the NFL. And that is the Cleveland Browns. But when you actually look at the Cleveland Browns going to 2021, 
It, it, it certainly didn't look that way. They didn't certainly look like the skid marks in 2020 because they went 10 and 6. They were they got into the playoffs for the first time since 2002. You know, there are some hopeful things under head, new head coach Kevin Stefanski, especially when they dominated the Pittsburgh Steelers. You know, granted, um, it was against the washed-ass Big Ben Roethlisberger, but still, that defense played well. Um, Baker Mayfield, you know, he did what he could um, on, on offense. And then you got to the game against Kansas City in the next round. Um, you had a, you had an opportunity um, to close the gap. Um, pull off an upset, especially when, you know, Patrick Mahomes went down with a concussion, but Kevin, Kevin Stefanski, you know, made some really conservative choices in that game and, and allowed uh, the chiefs to rally in that game with their backup quarterback and pull and pull away to go on to the, to the next round. But, you know, despite what happened in that game, you know, for, for Browns fans, you know, you either had some encouragement for next season or for everyone else. You know, there there may have been a little bit of, you know, ex, you know, realism. You know, you have to keep a little bit of expectations in check. So going in that offseason, you know, they did a pretty solid job, um, both in free agency and the draft. Main it was mainly defensive, um, defensive work um in free agency. You know, you added the likes of Jadavion Clowney and Malik Jackson, and then the draft is where really they really hit home. Um, you added corner Greg Newsom, and then you add linebacker Jeremiah Owusu Koromoa. And, you know, personally looking at them, they both look poised to be immediate contributors to the defense, especially as the season wore on. You know, they don't look like it right away, but, you know, as as the as they improve upon in in the next couple of, in probably in year two, let's see how they look. Maybe they they could be a Good, good foundational piece for that defense. So you have old and new faces coming into the building, like Kevin Stefanski and all those pieces I just mentioned. And Baker Mayfield's coming in for his fourth year. They picked up his fifth-year option. So for Browns fans, you know, you have a little bit of hope, but, you know, obviously expectations were clearly in check. So, you know, you go to Kansas City, rematch of the AFC Divisional right away. You know, you look the part. You know, the offense is rolling. The defense, putting Patrick Mahomes in check. You know, they look poised to continue their success for the, um, from the postseason. For like 30 minutes. <laughs> for like 30 minutes of the regular season. So, yeah. And that was pretty much all all that Cleveland had to smile about in for 2021. Because, well, the second half came and pretty much Kevin Stefanski repeated the same mistakes that he did in the divisional. Conservative. Um, rely too much on Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt. And when it came to nut-busting time, when they lost that lead to Kansas City, Baker Mayfield failed to come in the clutch, threw an interception, and the Browns lose again to Kansas City. But then, when you go on to the next week, you come back, come back home for your opener against the Houston Texans. Yeah, as if losing in the same place that you nearly won in, in the playoffs... As if that wasn't bad enough, um, yeah. Then your starting quarterback gets hurt and then continues to play hurt throughout the season because in that week two game against the Houston Texans, Baker Mayfield um, pretty much tears his uh, left shoulder, and for whatever reason, he continues to play through that uh, left shoulder injury as the season wore on, and as a result, it affected the entire offense. You know, Jarvis Landry 
as a result, looked awful for much of the season. But then even then, the entire offense was already in a shamble um, throughout throughout 2021 and pretty much resembled what 2019 looked like. The only consistent thing about the offense was Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. And hell, even the reserves looked better than the entire offense. Um, so whether Hunt or Nick Chubb were dealing with either injuries or COVID-19, you know, um, the reserves like Dearness Johnson stepped up big. <laughs> like they did pretty well um, in relief of either one of those two. Um, the defense also faced some of the inconsistencies of their own, but you know, a unit led by Miles Garrett, Mac Wilson, Greg Newsom, um, solid performances, especially by Miles Garrett. <laughs> He's clearly the team MVP of the season, but you know, the, the inconsistencies, you know, they were out of sync um, pretty much all season long. It cost them some very winnable games. You know, the Browns, you know, had they actually gotten some consistency, um, especially from Baker Mayfield um, and, you know, Kevin Stefanski didn't play scared for a lot of the games. They could have been the team. You could, they could have been teams like the Pittsburgh Steelers twice. They had two opportunities to beat the Steelers and they pretty much botched it. They could have been the, the Raiders, but unfortunately, I mean, obviously COVID COVID sucks and they got hit by hard late in the season, but yeah, it, 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 it was a winnable game and they blew it. And even against the Green Bay Packers, Aaron Rodgers was getting held in check by, by that Browns defense and Miles Garrett. And Nick Chubb was going ham on that on that Packers run defense. And yet they couldn't close the gap. And as a result, they were eliminated from the postseason yet again. And not only that, they were embarrassed by the likes of the Arizona Cardinals and the New England Patriots. And that was coming off big wins too. So... Overall, you know, for as much as I can blame Baker midfield and that shoulder injury hampering the off all, the entire offense all season long, Kevin Stefanski, their head coach, has as much to blame for you know not doing anything to to shut down Baker Mayfield, just you know out of safety, you know why when Baker Mayfield was clearly hurt and who knows maybe Baker Mayfield wanted to continue to play and Kevin Stefanski respected his wishes. You clearly saw Baker Mayfield struggling and I think he aggravated his injury. What was it at that game against the lions where he got hit hard um, on the turf? Why, why didn't like from that point on when he clearly saw that Baker Mayfield was hurt, he's clearly struggling with uh, to play through that injury. Why didn't Kevin Stefanski, why didn't that front office, um or ownership that matter take take a stand take like force force matters into their own hands and i, I don't know like shut down baker may like shut down baker mayfield out of his safe out of safety i mean case keenum i mean sure he's not the greatest of answers but he's not the not the greatest of backup quarterbacks but you know you knew that the season was well, well and done with, considering that you let Baker Mayfield ride it out that long. Just let him play out the season. Let him play out the season um, instead of, you know, just letting your, your quarterback, you know, miserably ride it out. And it wasn't until, like, the, the pointless Week 18 game where, oh, Baker Mayfield is going to get surgery. I'm like, bruh, bruh. So the Browns finished 8-9, very disappointing season, and... Yeah, they did look like the skid marks again. They really did. They, one week, they they looked atrocious. Even when they did win games, they looked really atrocious. <laughs> the offense couldn't do jack shit. They, most of the time, they had to win the games by their kicker. Um, Chase uh, McLaurin. Chase, 
McDonald. I don't know what this, uh, his name is. It's the kicker that starts with Chase. But anyway, you know, very disappointing season for the Cleveland Browns. Um, did they look like the skid marks of the past? It had some resemblance of it, of it, yes, but not total skid marks territory. Um, not not like the 0-16 Cleveland skid marks of the 2017. Um, so the Browns have a lot of work to do in the offseason. Um, they have um, some things to decide on um, before you know it, they revert to full skid marks um, yet again. So they got to avoid that territory. So going to the offseason, they have some money to spend, around $25 million to be exact. Um, some of their key free agents to um, consider for the Browns are Jadavion Clowney, David Njoku, Malik Jackson, Anthony Walker, and Ronnie Harrison. Um, they're currently slated to draft at number 13, so you know they're in that mid-range. Um, so the first thing that they got to decide to do is get some reliable wide receivers. And sure, they draft, they traded for Amari Cooper, but you got to get more than just that. Um, Amari Cooper, yes, he, he, he flashes some um, great talent, but... <laughs> Um, sometimes he cannot be, he can sometimes be not as reliable as well, especially, you know, considering that Baker Mayfield is not, um, it is not as reliable of a quarterback as Dak Prescott is, um, as, and especially considering that Mayfield is very more inconsistent than Prescott. Um, also considering the fact that, you know, Jarvis Landry, um, is being, is given, given the, the Browns blessing to seek a trade. Um, elsewhere, yeah, you need wide receivers all around. So for the Browns, they got to build depth at the wide receivers position, get a wide receiver two um, opposite of Amari Cooper. You could do that in the draft pretty much. Um, the, the free agent market is kind of drying up at the moment, but you got you to gotta build up this uh, wide receiver room because if Baker Mayfield wants to prove he was worth a damn in his fifth and final year um, to, for the Browns, then... You got to build up that wide receiver room. Um, you got to find a defensive lineman opposite Miles Garrett. Um, you know, it, it definitely helps the Browns um, to, to give him a running mate. You know, give him give give Garrett someone to um, get the shoulder the shoulder load off of him a little bit. Um, it, I think it helped a little when they they picked up uh, Jadavion Clowney. Hopefully, um, for the Browns, they resign him. Um, so it helps out Miles Garrett, and maybe you could get another interior defensive lineman, um, and for to on the inside to shut down the run and get at the quarterback. So they gotta have to find a defensive lineman opposite Miles Garrett. So for Cleveland, you know they are poised to go deeper with Stefanski. Um, seemingly look, they seem he seemed to look like the right coach for the team to finally not just to tap into Baker Mayfield's skill set, but institute a culture change. But Clearly, 2021 messed all that up um, with <laughs> clearly his shadiness of the quarterback's injury. And, you know, he didn't do he didn't do anything until literally the last week of the season to like, oh, time for you to get surgery. Yeah. <laughs> you know, had he not addressed that sooner, then the, the Browns wouldn't have gone nearly full skid marks more mode. So injury or not, you know. And Mayfield looks like the quarterback that he was in 2019 and 2021. You know, the Browns are going to look like another toilet flush in 2022. And for better or worse, they're going to look like a skid mark 
on the rim of yet another underwear on the toilet. So next up on our list is the Baltimore Ravens. For the last two years for the Ravens, it's been modestly successful for the, the flock. And why do I say modestly successful for the Baltimore Ravens? Well, you do you did get to playoff berths um, in the last two years. Um, you get in 2019, the top seed in the AFC, but you lose to the Tennessee Titans in a crazy upset. And then in 2020, you get to the second round, but you lose to the Bills in Buffalo where Lamar Jackson got hurt and the Ravens got blown out after that. So you try to address like pretty much just about everything from the defense to the offensive line. But then the Ravens actually addressed it in a pretty opposite manner. They trade away their best uh, offensive lineman, um, their tackle in Orlando Brown Jr. They trade them to pretty much the team that you're trying to beat. Um, the cornerstone, the King of Kings, the Kansas City Chiefs for a first round pick. Probably it was the, the money they were trying to get, but I digress. They also um, lost their other two key pieces in linebacker Matthew Judon, edge rusher Yannick Nugakwe um, in free agency. I mean, sure, you try to counter all those losses with um, adding a guard, uh, Kevin Zeitler, in the offensive line. They also drafted linebacker Odafe Owehe um, in the second round. And then in the first round, you, you get another receiver in Rashad Bateman. Um, but... Like we we've yet to see we've yet to see if any of those additions like really really were gonna like you know balance out you know you were they were gonna like glue glue away you know those losses in twenty in twenty twenty one and we 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 didn't really yet see it um due to a variety of reasons but we'll we'll address those when we get there so you get new additions to the offensive line you get a new receiver in, in Bateman you get um so a few more defensive pieces um so despite all the losses you know the ravens looked set to finally get over the second round hump get back to the playoffs and hopefully make the afc championship with lamar jackson for the first time but then it all came crashing down and it hurt inside Injury mania happened in and then died. Da -na, da -da, da -na -na -na. What you gonna do, brother, when injury mania comes crashing down on the Ravens flock? That's exactly what happened to the Baltimore Ravens in 2021. Injury mania ran wild in Baltimore. And it really, it didn't happen just during the season. It literally happened well before the season started. During the preseason. You know, you had literally the day, the day before, <laughs> the day before the 2021 general NFL season started, when the Ravens were in practice, they lose a lot of players. They lost their entire running back room. They lost Gus Edwards. They lost J.K. Dobbins to an AC to ACL tears. They lose the rookie running back Justice Hill to an Achilles tear. And then they lose their corner, Marcus Peters, to an ACL tear that same practice. They also lost two other defensive players to ACL tears during the preseason. And then it continues on. It continues on. They lost Rashad Bateman for um, half of the season with a groin surgery. And he wouldn't be back till midseason. Then they lose, during the season, Ronnie Stanley to an ankle injury. They lose uh, Deshaun Elliott. They lose Marlon Humphrey. And then the nail in the coffin himself. They lose Lamar Jackson. They lose Lamar Jackson late in the season. 
And now it's pretty much the death nail for the Baltimore Ravens in December. So even then, you know, by season's end, the Ravens were last year's 49ers in terms of all the injuries. They had the most players on injury reserve. And even if there weren't any injuries, they had some players on COVID-19. So despite of all the injuries, you know, the Ravens tried to stay competitive as much as possible. But, you know, they were, were still on the losing end of things. They were still on the losing end of things. Um, you know, looking at it, um, past the injuries, their defense was really bad. Their defense was really bad. The secondary had a hard time locking down on just about every everybody. Before he went down with the injury, Marlon Humphrey was a disappointment. Gave up a lot of plays. Gave up a lot of touchdowns to opposing receivers. Um, Odafe Uwehe was, was solid, but, you know, he still remains a work in progress. And then on the offensive side of the ball, yeah, pretty much a, a rehash of last year, especially coming from the play calling for Lamar Lamar Jackson, making him run the damn ball um, a gajillion times, like as if he was the second coming of RG Knee. <laughs> literally. They literally made him run the damn ball because, well, we got no running backs. All we have is Devontae Friedman and Latavius Murray. We, we don't give a fuck about those two, so let's just give Lamar Jackson like he's 2012 RG3 or Michael Vick. So, the, the, pretty much most of the play calling centered around Lamar Jackson running the damn ball, whether it's in the middle, to the left, to the right. That was literally the play calling made by the, the coaches. I, I don't understand. <laughs> I can't understand it. When I mean, sure, Lamar Jackson did make a little bit of progress um, as a passer. He made some nice throws at times, but then obviously he made a lot of turnovers um, throughout the year. But you still have to let him throw. You still have have to make him make him make reasons why he's a dual threat quarterback, not just make him run the damn ball to the point where he actually gets hurt in games like he did this year. But damn, it, it, it is not, it is not a good sign when, you know, that happens. But other than that, on a positive note, Mark Andrews, um, one of the more underrated, um, tight ends this year, probably like probably a, a top, one of the top tight ends this year, aside from Travis Kelsey and Mark, uh, not uh, George Kittle, and you know he didn't get talked about a lot often because, well, Kelsey, really the top, the more talked about name, and you know George Kittle doing doing more things in San Francisco. But Mark Andrews clearly the team MVP, always being the open man for Lamar, and even for Tyler Huntley, a, a reliable go to option when Marquise Brown, who had a solid season, was. Um, getting more targeted by um, receivers. So Mark Andrews was always the go-to guy. And for Rashad Bateman, you know, we didn't really see much of him. Um, we didn't really see much action from him. So it remains to be seen what he has to offer. So speaking of Tyler Huntley, man, he stepped up big time. He, sure, they only went one in three um, in the games that he played, but he looked like the, he looked like a more than just a backup quarterback. Um, sure, he had his down moments, but he was a... He was a crazy ass uh, dual dual threat quarterback. Just look at his game against the Green Bay Packers and I think it was like the the LA Rams in, in those games. Insane, <laughs> pretty insane when you think about it. Like like we're, we're we're like are we are we seeing a Lamar Jackson clone in like in Baltimore? Holy shit! So you know in the grand scheme of things, you know the Ravens were actually were eight and three by the end of November. And, you know, 
they were on they were close to taking over the AFC North. Um again, name some impressive wins over the Chiefs, the Chargers, the Colts, and the Vikings. But you know, they they were having some play calling issues, no shows. Um, and again, all the injuries, um, that were just too much to overcome, um, by season's end, you know, that December stretch, they were on a six game losing streak and then they went eight and nine. Yeah. So especially when, you know, John Harbaugh went for two late in the games, especially in that game against the Green Bay Packers, because he clearly didn't trust that defense well enough. But again, like, why did you go for two points? Um, when sure, like. Okay, you didn't trust your defense enough, but like don't for, go don't go for two if you know that that Tyler Huntley can't get it done. So yes, a few games can't be blamed on Lamar, but that's just that's just the little snippet of of the tape being recorded. John Harbaugh and now former defensive coordinator Don Martindale are just as much to blame for what happened. They they made some questionable uh, calls on. Um, for, for the team and the defense was just booty cheeks um, throughout the year and obviously clearly injury mania ran wild all over Baltimore in 2021 and there's just a lot of talent deficient um, all over that team and throughout the year so overall you know a disappointing year for Baltimore um, injury mania did play a role it ran wild on Baltimore um, but they got to improve for 2022 or they're going to run behind uh, run behind in in that in that division so they don't have a lot of cap space to spend around eight million um clearly at, at the time at the time this is being recorded we, we don't know who they resigned who who who's leaving but they do have some decisions to make uh clays campbell deshaun elliott bradley bozeman jimmy smith um justin houston all key free agents that they have to decide on keeping or letting them go they're currently slated to four to pick 14th in the draft um, they have to address pretty much a, a lot of a lot of things, like the offensive line. When they lost uh, Brad, they, they lost Ronnie Stanley <laughs> for the season. That offensive line went to shit, and then obviously the loss of Orlando Brown Jr. Um, in the off in last off season. Yeah, they that really wasn't mm, addressed. So they have to address the tackle position. Um, this off season to reshore that offensive line to give Lamar Jackson time to throw and. Yeah, I guess if you want to let him run the ball too, make him a dual threat quarterback again. But to lessen that effect, you got to get some help behind Mark Andrews, um, Hollywood Brown, and Rashad Bateman. You got to get some uh, secondary help, um, you know, some secondary receiver help. What I mean, um, that depth behind those three, not enough. Sammy Watkins was a was a very very inconsistent mess, and I, and when I mean inconsistent, in a bad way. Um, did you see that drop touchdown against the Miami Dolphins? Yeah. Wide open, and he dropped it. So they're going to need some reserves that can step in as a third or fourth option behind him. So just, you know, add some, like, death pieces behind that receiver room. Um, they got to go attack the secondary. They got to attack the defense because um, behind Marlon Humphrey and Marcus Peters, yeah, that that defense in 2021 really gave up a lot of big chunk plays and a lot of points to the likes of Cincinnati and Las Vegas. So for new defensive coordinator Mike McDaniel, um, the front office, um, they have to invest in the offensive, uh, not the offensive line, the secondary um, to to get better. They have to get better corners. They have to invest in a quality safety. They have to max 
maximize the potential of this defense. And that starts by investing in the secondary. And then the big, the big elephant in the room, the extension, the contract extension for Lamar Jackson. Yes. Like they have to, they have to wonder if it's worth, um, giving a fat ass contract to a quarterback posing as a running back. So yes, that is a question that needs to be, uh, um, addressed, but you know, for the Ravens, they have to decide on it really soon. They don't want to beat around the bush for too long because it can lead to Lamar Jackson being unhappy. Then he can just write out the string of his, uh, fifth year option. And then, you know, he can just pull out the franchise tag however many times until he gets like a fat ass contract eventually or worse. He actually wants, he actually goes out and plays somewhere else. So the sooner the Ravens sign Jackson to a contract extension, like, I don't know how big that's going to be. The sooner the Ravens can focus uh, attacking this next uh, season and focusing on their team needs. Otherwise it's going to be a contract year for Lamar Jackson. If a deal doesn't get done. So yes, an A9 record seems bad for Baltimore and and other and outsider fans but you know they managed to make the most of it uh i guess and i guess it was somewhat of a good evaluation for which players to hold on to next year and and beyond so if the ravens can avoid injury mania this offseason if everyone can get healthy you get lamar jackson to an extension you add some pieces to the offensive line and the secondary you know baltimore can be back with the vengeance in 2022 and especially you know considering the Bengals um just lost the super bowl and you know what happened like considering what happens to super bowl losing teams um generally you know baltimore could be right back in the mix of the afc north and perhaps beyond next up we're going to talk about the miami dolphins for the dolphins in recent times you know it hasn't been great you know obviously back in the good old days um they had some success with dan marino well back to the 1980s and then in 2008 they had that wildcat offense that only lasted a year but in recent times you know, they brought on Brian Flores as their head coach um, in 2019. And, you know, he forwent against taking, you know, what, remember those uh, couple of games where <laughs> the Dolphins were literally stinging up the joint. And then all of a sudden, they actually gave a damn. And that was um, because of Brian Flores, for better or worse. You know, they won five games in 2019. They went five and 11. And sure, his draft, the draft stock went down some, you know, Initially, it seemed like Brian Flores um, was the right guy to bring in a a culture change into that Miami Dolphins organization. But then, as you see later on, where the reports came out that he was fighting uh, with the locker room, like verbally, of course, and then with ownership, with the front office, then, yes, we're going to talk about right here and now, that seems like it's not going to be the case because... Going into the 2020 season, you know, it didn't seem the case because, you know, the Dolphins ended up picking uh, Tua Tuka-Viola from Alabama in the 2020 draft. And then much later on, it turned out that Flores wanted Justin Herbert instead. So despite all those problems, you know, Brian Flores um, went into 2020. They ended up 10-6. and six. They didn't make the playoffs. And, you know, it became very apparent, though, that... Flores didn't like Tua from the start because he kept flip-flopping him around with Ryan Fitzpatrick during that season, and it kind of hindered Tua's development. So, yes, it was well apparent that while Tua does have his flaws, Flores once, never once trusted him. So, going into 2021, you know, there are a lot of things that the Dolphins had to work on, um, a lot of things to address, 
um, in the draft. They went on to get Jalen Waddle um, to get to us some help. And, you know, going into the season, not not too many expectations. I mean, the Dolphins did overachieve a little in year two of their rebuild. So, year three, like, honestly, some people were expecting playoffs. Some people were expecting, oh, they're going to miss it yet again. So, some things um, that we're just going to be a little on the fence about. So, going into the season, we start 2021. They go to New England, beat the Patriots, surprisingly. And then the wheels seem to have uh, come off starting week two when, you know, the, the Bills defensive end, AJ Espena, uh, Epenesa, sorry if I butchered that, uh, he fractured uh, to his ribs with a hard tackle. Um, and that was in the middle of a shutout, that, in the middle of a shutout home loss for the Miami Dolphins. And then from then on forth, um, the Dolphins wound up losing six straight games after that. They, by the time we they reached the midseason, they were one and seven. And one of those losses included to the all elite Jacksonville Jaguars in all elite London. Yes, they ended up losing to the all elite Jacksonville Jaguars. And by the by that point in time, they already had Tua Tagovailoa back in the lineup. So what does that tell you about Brian Flores and his weird, weird coaching with Tua? So. Again, even with Tua, you know the offensive play calling was bad for him. Um, it never ta- it was never tailored for Tua to give it give him a chance. And I mean, it was besides um, the bad play calling and you know Tua doing okayish um, under Brian Flores. The running game was bad all year long with Miles Gaskin. Um, the offensive line stunk up the joint um, in Miami. Um, Mike Siski was probably the only highlight um, in that offense along with Jalen Waddle. Um, late in the season, but yeah, not not good for the offense. Um, the team did go on a seven-game win streak um, starting week nine, and again, offered some positives aside from Gasicki and um, Jalen Waddle. Um, the defense was pretty much the biggest highlight um, for the Miami Dolphins win streak. Um, Jerome Baker, Xavier Howard in the defensive end, a power unit. Um, defensive end, Christian Wilkins, um, a, a big force in the pass rush. Um, but, you know, consider in, in fairness, though, the teams that the, the Dolphins faced in, in this win streak, you know, they faced the New York Giants. They faced the New York Jets. Um, they faced the Carolina Panthers. And then they faced, in the Monday night game, they faced the New Orleans Saints with Ian Book. Not Taysom Hill, not James Winston. They faced Ian Book on a Monday night with literally no time to prepare for Book. <laughs> yeah. That's just telling of how, like, fraudulent this win streak was. And then when it came time, nut busting time for the dolphins to face an actual playoff contender, um, for them to get into the postseason, um, or at least try to keep their playoff hopes alive. Um, against the Tennessee Titans, literally six days later, they get shit on, they shit the bed and the Titans whoop their candy asses and out goes their playoff hopes like that. I mean, they did beat the Patriots and they forced the Patriots to play the bills in round three of the playoffs. But what does that really do for Miami in the grand scheme of things? So pretty much, um, you know, that game against the Titans, pretty much a rehash of the entire season for Miami, for Miami. The offense stuck up the joint. Tua couldn't get anything done with the play calling and the offensive line. And yeah, again, they pretty much faced shitty teams uh, during that, that seven-game stretch. So overall, for Miami, it was a tale to halves. They did go nine and eight, but you know, looking at how it went, that that 
that one and seven start and then that set that seven game finish uh seven game finish um yeah it was kind of weird now for the biggest surprise of many um brian flores was fired after the season um and you know looking back at it a little bit further i mean while i'm a little bit indifferent about it um some say it was the right decision for uh owner steven ross to make others not so much but overall you know when you look at it brian flores didn't seem like the right guy to do it because well he didn't he didn't really give a shit about tua and what he had to offer to the table unlike the next head coach that they're that they hired in and Mike McDaniel from the San Francisco 49ers, the offensive coordinator. Now, it remains to be seen how much of what Mike McDaniel did in in Santa Clara, <laughs> how much he really did with Kyle Shanahan as the like the play like in terms of the play calling or like well, all I heard from uh what what I seen with Mike McDaniel was he did he did wonders with the running game and I guess helping out Jimmy G. That's that's what, I, what I've seen all over the web. <laughs> but anyway, again, there's a lot of friction between Brian Flores and pretty much the entirety of the Dolphins. And now he's currently in the midst of a, a league-wide lawsuit between himself and the NFL. So, I mean, again, aside from all, all the legality, all, all everything revolving Brian Flores, this team was just very flawed. Um... The offense, again, showed little interest into a. Um, the offensive line was a mess. Devontae Parker was unreliable. Um, so pretty much no help for Tua aside from Jalen Wall and Mike Kosicki. Um, So hopefully going into year three for Tua with new head coach Mike McDaniel. Um, I do like his chill demeanor. It's like he's smoking <laughs> whatever. I, I don't know what he's smoking, but he, he's pretty insane. I mean, we'll see how he does as a head coach. But it seems like it... it and it'll be time to see if he's going to be the right guy to get to a back um, into a a good, a, at least a good quarterback. So going to the offseason, the, the Dolphins have a lot of money to spend around 49 million. Um, you know, not that many key free agents. Um, it, and if there were, they, they have a, they have a laundry list of free agents, but two free agents that stand out is Jason McCourty and Will Fuller. But obviously the free agents, the long list of free agents that they have, Easily replaceable. But the, the things that they need to address in the offseason is the offensive line. The offensive line. The offensive line. Yeah. They have to address that offensive line. Because that O-line was atrocious. Tua literally had to run away from his life. And even Jacoby's reset had to run away for his life. Um, in the games that he played. The offensive line was offensive to watch in 2021. They couldn't hold off even the worst of pass rushers. And... We're one of the top teams in sacks allowed. Not good for Tua and Mike McDaniel and that front and Chris Greer. That has to be that top priority um, to not only give Tua a key to success in 2022, but keep him upright long term. Secondary receivers behind Jalen Waddle, Devontae Parker, no longer a healthy option. Um, no longer, and that makes him an uh, unreliable option. You know. Fortunately, Miami for Miami, it, free agency gives them a little bit of bargain bin options as well for for the draft gives them some good options as well, even at, at where they're positioned at with twenty nine, because um, their current draft pick is owned by um, I think it's the Philadelphia Eagles. But fortunately for them, even at number twenty nine, they they're 
well, they're, they should be well positioned still to pick uh, a good amount of receiver uh, receivers and in that in that solid draft class so either way they need a number two and number three option for tua in in 2022 they have to upgrade at running back um tua was pretty much forced into a running back role because well the actual running back room sucked dick it really sucked donkey dick miles gaskin didn't look like the running back that the dolphins were uh hoping for so they have to get a consistent uh, solid runner um, that can play in the starting role, whether it's a guy like a bargain guy like Raheem Mostert coming off an injury or they go out all in on a guy that, well, they, at least on paper, seems good, like Saquon Barkley or Christian McCaffrey in the trade market if they're available. They have to upgrade the running back position. So some things to address for the Miami Dolphins in, in the offseason, both in the free agency market and the draft. But overall, you know, they're in an interesting position. You know, Tua didn't necessarily look like a quarterback um, that showed improvement in 20, in 2021. But at least for Mike McDaniel, it seems like he can be the guy um, that can be a decent coach and, and mentor for Tua. But, you know, the execution for both of them remains to be seen. Um, they have a strong defense um, that remains from Brian Flores' days. But, um, yeah, if the Dolphins want to, you know, keep up, with the likes of the Bills, the Patriots, and the the rest of the, the non-AFC East contenders, then they have a lot of work to do in 2022. So at the halfway point of this part three, let me know how your teams did. The three teams that we discussed about, the Dolphins, the Browns, and the Ravens. If you're a fan of these teams, let me know how those teams did in 2021. Even if you're not a fan of those teams, let me know how they did. But next up, in the, starting in the second half of this season recap episode, is the Indianapolis Colts. It's been an interesting few years for the Indianapolis Colts. You know, it's been a quarterback carousel, as you like to say. Um, that's because, you know, ever since Andrew Luck retired in 2019, yeah, it's pretty much been a cycle, a cycle of quarterbacks. You know, you had Jacoby Brissett playing <laughs> the last minute for Andrew Luck in 2019. Then 2020 brought in Philip Rivers in pretty much his final stop before retirement. And then in the offseason last year, they pretty much went out and got Carson Wentz for pretty much what ultimately ended up being <laughs> giving away a first round pick. Yeah, yikes. So they they did, I guess Frank Reich and Chris Ballard did an okay job in building up the roster, netting defensive stalwarts like DeForest Buckner, extending Darius Leonard, and then you go out in the second round, get Jonathan Taylor and Michael Pittman, and it would end up being really, really good pieces for the offense. But then, obviously, the biggest key piece missing is the quarterback. And, you know, seemingly adding Carson Wentz to the mix seemed like the final consistent piece of the puzzle for a team. Had a rising running back in Jonathan Taylor, a good beast in uh, Michael Pittman, and a very strong defense. So going to the season, there seemed to be some promise for the Indianapolis Colts, but clearly not. They started 0-3, mainly because of the struggles Carson Wentz had. Um, he didn't provide many turnovers as he later did, and especially during his Philly days. But Carson Wentz was pretty reckless with the damn ball. It's like he didn't want to get sacked. He only wanted to extend the play. But then when he tried to extend the play, he nearly he either nearly threw an interception or he did throw an interception. Um, he'd so often lapse under under pressure and again rashly 
throw it away um, when his receivers were well defended. So Carson Wentz played pretty erratic football for much of the season. The Colts throughout the season after that managed to float around a winning percentage for much of the season. Um, The defensive front that had Buckner and Leonard, big anchor for the Colts defense and rookie Quinny pay pretty good year four sacks several tackles um good reliable pass rusher next to the force buckner on the offensive side of the ball jonathan taylor beast a beast clear mvp of the team nearly won the mvp uh obviously you know who that went to but he unleashed havoc on opposing defenses just look at his week 11 game against the buffalo bills single-handedly tearing them down so michael pittman jr also stepped up big in the top receiver role uh, over T.Y. Hilton. But, you know, for as hot as the Colts were during um, this stretch, you know, going um, to the late stretch run of the season, still several flaws. Still several flaws that would rear its ugly head um, down the final stretch of the season. You know, Carson Wentz, relatively inconsistent in most games, resulting in Frank Reich having to rely heavily on Jonathan Taylor and back up Naeem Hines um, in big critical games, especially... In the games like against the New England Patriots, in that game against the Buffalo Bills, and then the game against even the Houston Texans, god damn it, <laughs> the Houston Texans. So he did for Carson Wentz. He do he would do well um, all game long in some, but then in others he would play well in one half, but then in the other in in the second half he would suck. He would suck, in, or it would be the other way around. So yeah, he was not a good year for Carson Wentz. Um, the offensive line was also not as strong as it has been in, in is as it been in years past. Um, left tackle Eric Fisher, you know, not a good year for him. So the the secondary also not a good year. Um, outside of corner Rocky Sin giving up some easily preventable plays. Um, by the time the Colts um, were near the end of the season, they were in a position to clinch one of the last uh, the last playoff spots in the AFC. Um, and they were playing some solid football, you know, despite, you know, bringing the John to Taylor show. John to Taylor was pretty much doing everything for the Indianapolis Colts by this point. Um, they had actually had two opportunities to clinch that last playoff spot by season's end. But the same problems that I just described led to their downfall. Um, they lost to the Raiders um, in week in week 17. I mean, the Raiders played their hearts out um, for Rich Passaccia by that point. And then there was the season finale in week 18. Like, nowhere near understandable from, in, in contrast to th- that that loss to the, the Las Vegas Raiders. I mean, sure. They played a much more... They lost to a much more motivated team in the Las Vegas Raiders. Okay. They, they were also a playoff team eventually. But then... <laughs> then you go down to Indianapolis. Oh, uh, not Indianapolis. Jacksonville. All you have to do is beat the low life. The clown fan base go down to the land of all elite wrestling, who was heralded by the Cucks of Suck and Tony Khan Man. All they had to do was beat the all elite Jacksonville Jaguars. And in a sea of clown fans, they played flat. They came out lifeless. Jonathan Taylor, nowhere to be seen. And Carson Wentz didn't give a damn. Frank Reich. Got outcoached. Everybody got outplayed by Trevor Lawrence and the interim head coach, Daryl Bevel. Pretty much everyone on the Colts, where are the Colts? On the milk carton. So pretty much, 
they got boat raced by a team on its way to the number one pick in the draft for the second straight year. Embarrassing shit right there. So that they pretty much crashed and burned <laughs> in 2021. 9-8, disappointing. Very disappointing 9-8. And, and, you know, it, it's a roster that seems well-balanced. Um, Yeah, a bad QB undid pretty much all that. And pretty much um, bad coaching, too. Bad coaching, too. This, this 2021 was a total bust for the Indianapolis Colts. They relied way too much on Jonathan Taylor um, for much of the season. And look where where it got them. Look where it got them. So during the during this early portion of the offseason, well, they got, I guess they got their, rid of their perceived problem in Carson Wentz. They sent Carson Wentz packing to the Washington Commanders for multiple second and third round picks. Now, here's the thing. They need a quarterback. Like, who who are they going to get a quarterback? There's not many options left. So, who are they going to get? Now, they did get rid of Carson Wentz's large-ass contract, but wh- wh- where's the answer quarterback? Where is that? So, now going to the offseason, you know, they have the most cap space in the NFL. They have around 70, $70 million thanks to, you know, getting rid of Carson Wentz. So, they have some key free agents that need to... Um, Hopefully they need to resign like Xavier Rhodes, Eric Fisher, um, Michael Badgley, a bunch of free agents that they have to consider. Um, but are they going to spend all that money? We'll see. So they're currently positioned to draft 42nd because, well, the, the that conditional second round pick from that they gave to the Eagles turned into a first round pick. Yeah, because Carson Wentz played a good chunk amount of 2021. So... Obviously, the number one need is quarterback and hopefully a long-term quarterback. And yeah, we all know the Wentz experience was a total disaster. But now, it's time for Indy to pick a quarterback. Time for Indy to decide what what they need to, uh, to get out of the quarterback market. And they don't have that many options left. They have, But they have to decide quickly. They have to either pick out whatever's left of the wasteland of the free agent quarterback market, whether it's Marcus Mariota or Mitch Trubisky or go out and trade someone like Jimmy Garoppolo. They have to pick something. And well, it it still remains to be seen if it's like a long-term option for them, which might have been clearly not, but either way, they they have to get a bridge option until the Colts could settle for a long-term option, which who knows when that will be. They got to get some help from Michael Pittman now, they may not be able to get some in free agency, but again, just like with other teams, they they have plenty they have plenty of options in the draft. They're going to need a number 2 receiver opposite of Pittman in order to get a, attention away from Pittman against opposing defenses. Now, the one of their biggest weaknesses as well in 2021 was the secondary. Um for the secondary, yeah, it, it was pretty spotty at best. Corners like Xavier Rhodes um, wasn't particularly good. It wasn't particularly good, um, and most of the safeties ended up on IR. So names like Stephon Gilmore and J.C. Jackson and Carlton Davis should be on the Colts' radar um, in the free agency market coming soon. So even if they don't get anyone on the free agent market, play of names in the draft as well. So the Colts, the Colts, it seemed like their problems were solved for twenty for twenty twenty one when they traded for Carson Wentz. But man, it, throughout the season, even more problems were created. 
even more problems were created with Wentz's continued erratic play that plagued him in Philadelphia um, after the ACL tear. And all, of course, Frank Reich's continued reliance on Jonathan Taylor. It ruined Indy's perhaps golden playoff chances. They literally had, like, I'm not saying that Indy could have made the, like, let's say the divisional playoffs had they, had they gone that, had they gone to the playoffs, but for Indianapolis, they relied too heavily on Jonathan Taylor and you know, they, I don't, I'm not saying that they didn't give Carson Wentz a chance, but damn too much Jonathan Taylor. That's all I'm trying to say. So the Colts want to present another disastrous disappointment in 2022. They have to find their quarterback ASAP. Otherwise, what the hell are you doing? You're just wasting time and you're also wasting money. So next up on part three of our NFL season recaps is the LA Clippers. How do you, how, how should I explain? How do you even explain the LA Clippers in 2021? Wait, this is not the NBA. We're not talking about any NBA season recaps. Wait, the season's not over yet for the NBA. Oh wait, that's right. This is the NFL. We're talking about NFL season recaps. So how do you explain the LA Clippers and their 2021 season this past uh, season? So I guess just like the LA Clippers of years past, the defense lets up, the coach chokes it up in big game situations. And just like their basketball counterparts um, that isn't popular enough in LA, they blow 3-1 leads all the damn time. The NFL's utter LA franchise with a star-powered field of talent somehow misses the playoffs yet again. And that is how you can explain the LA Clippers in 2021. So yeah, going into the season, I, I I was had a little bit of expectations, a little bit you know a little bit of hope for the Chargers to actually go um, a little deep into the postseason um, with Justin Herbert coming off an impressive rookie season. Really surprised me. He clearly looked like the right quarterback for Los Angeles, especially as a successor for Philip Rivers um, with his mobility, his strong arm. Really impressive stuff right there. Um, Decision-making, still spotty best, but it's expected as rookie quarterbacks. So the Chargers, 2021, 7-9, fired Anthony Lynn after three seasons. Um, but when you look at the grand scheme of things, Lynn's reign of, uh, as head coach filled with too many uh, close close losses, and some of which you know the Chargers could have won. Um, and a lot of typical clippering in those, in those losses, blowing big leads, bad clock management. So... Lynn, yeah, it was he had to go. He had to go for LA. Time it was time for a change, and they got a change in a crosstown resident in former Rams defensive coordinator Brandon Staley. He was named the head coach, bringing in at least a strong defensive mindset coming out of the out, outgoing 2020. Um, if the the Rams and you know during the offseason, they did address their biggest weakness of 2020, which was the offensive line. They got center Corey Lindsley from Green Bay, former Steelers left guard Matt Filer, and in the draft with their 13th pick, they got Rashawn Slater at left tackle, perceived as one of the best, um, the best tackles coming out of college. So this offensive line, um, really prioritized by the the LA front office, um, in, in the offseason to protect Justin Herbert. So re- really good investment by a, the Chargers front office during the offseason uh, last year. They also drafted at in, in the def, the defensive end, uh, Asante Samuel Jr. at corner, um, to compensate for releasing their longtime uh, corner Casey Hayward. 
So you got a new head coach, revamped offensive line, and then you got a quarterback ready to take the, the league by storm in year two. You know, they seem to take that next step for such a uh, balanced team, ready to go, um, perhaps make a postseason berth for the first time since 2018. The Chargers seem ready. They're ready to take that next step with Justin Herbert. And it seemed that way early in the season. They went 4-1, and started the season, get an upset victory over Kansas City. And, you know, they beat the breaks out of uh, with Cleveland and Las Vegas. You know, and Justin Herbert really took a step forward in his development with his playmaking ability. Sure, he had his struggles in the first two weeks of the season, as evident with the games against Washington and the Dallas Cowboys. But much more efficient. He really settled in uh, in, we- in, next- in the next three games. And the offensive supporting cast looked really strong as well for the most part. Austin Eckler, um, really uh, one of my favorite running backs uh, aside from Johnny Taylor, has a really good dual threat ability in the running and receiving game. Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, good contributors in the early weeks. Um, a little disappointing, though, is Jared Cook. Didn't do enough um, throughout the season. Now, as much as the Chargers offense um, did well, uh, a portion of the team that didn't do well was the defense, and that would plague them for much of the season, though. Now, Justin Herbert, again, did well. The problem was he had to do well because the defense was sucking ass for a good for the majority of the season. The defense had trouble getting off the field in more than half of the LA's games because they couldn't they couldn't stop the run, they couldn't uh, tackle, they couldn't prevent like opposing receivers from well making plays, so. As a result, they made the likes of Mac Jones, Jalen Hurts, even washed-ass Big Ben Roethlisberger, and Kirk Cousins look like more than above average because, well, they were unable to stop just about anything from happening. And, and it was also during that midseason stretch, Justin Herbert made, would make some poor decisions of his own in key games. But a lot of those poor decisions, you know, he made rashly because, well, he had to make up for the, the defense's inefficiency. And then the Chargers would flip-flop for most of the season. Um, the only notable win um, during the rest of the season was a win against Cincinnati um, in a blowout win. And then they lose to the likes of the Patriots, the Vikings, the Broncos. My God, like, how do you lose to Teddy Bridgewater and the damn Broncos? So even with all that, you know, by, by late in the season in December, you get to a critical game against the Kansas City Chiefs on a Thursday night. Justin Herbert and Patrick Mahomes are having a <laughs> quarterback orgasm. <laughs> I don't know how you can describe it. But anyway, um, it's pretty much a rematch from week three. And, you know, Chargers had a plenty, plenty of opportunities to win a shootout. It was their one golden chance to overtake the Chiefs in the AFC West. And this was a Chiefs team that was pretty much overcome, over, overcoming their struggles by this point of the point in time. But the Chargers got too aggressive. Um throughout the game, pretty much in the beginning and the end of the game. And when it came time to overtime and the, the Chiefs had the ball for the entirety of that portion, yeah, that pretty much tells you all all you know about this team. The defense led up um, against Patrick Mahomes in the offense. They allowed Travis Kelsey to waltz into the end zone, win the game, and the Chargers never saw the AFC West. So, if losing to to Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs was bad enough, losing ground on that uh, division lead was bad enough. Yeah, they would permanently lose on that uh, on that AFC West even more because of the the following week. 
that clippering stinker in Houston that next week against the Houston Texans. Yes, the low-life Houston Texans. Yes, I understand. They have a COVID outbreak. That's all. Joey Boza, Austin Eckler, and others sidelined. But so did the Texans. Tex- the Texans also had starters out as well with COVID. So I, I don't want to see people saying, oh, this is the game where the, 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 the Chargers were injured when they all had COVID. So did the Texans. The Texans literally had every like almost half of their, their team with COVID as well. So why why didn't they struggle? Why didn't they have a hard time against the, the Clippers? So this was a game that Chargers should have easily taken care of to keep up with Kansas City. But they choked it away. They choked it away committing turnovers. Justin Herbert had a, had a bad game. But Davis Mills and the Texans played pretty much their best game of their sad, pathetic, pathetic season against a hobbled LA squad in a total blowout. And after Kansas City beat the Pittsburgh Steelers in their own blowout, the AFC West is gone for the LA Clippers. And that's pretty much where you can define that that the season for the LA Clippers. That game right there. Actually, those two games. They lose out in overtime to <laughs> the the Kansas City Chiefs. And then you stink up the joint. You clipper it up. You clipper it up big time against the Houston Texans in that COVID-riddled game. And then you have one last chance. A miracle chance against the Las Vegas Raiders in week 18. It's win or go home for both of these teams. And the, the Raiders and the Chargers are literally getting every ounce that they can. Justin Herbert's literally trying to do everything he can to keep his team alive. And then you go into overtime. It's pretty well apparent the Raiders, um, when they, once they reach a two-minute mark, they're literally trying to help out the Chargers. They're literally trying to help out the Chargers get into the postseason with a tie. They're trying to literally sabotage the Pittsburgh Steelers and help out the Chargers um, when, when they get past midfield. But then dumbass Brandon Staley called a timeout and then it changed everything for the Raiders. So they go ahead, run the ball, get a first down. And then Daniel Carlson pretty much takes away the Chargers, <laughs> Chargers playoff hopes and bye-bye LA Clippers season. So to some degree, it was a heartbreaking end for the Clippers 9-8-2021. But you should have won more games. You should have won more games if you wanted to make the postseason. Um, I mean, I get it. Justin Herbert had his own fair share of struggles, but positively, he had some significant growth um, this past season. And, you know, not a lot of blame can be given to him for why um, the Chargers lost the games that they did. The defense really let down uh, the offense with their inability to contain opposing teams faster. Um, they, could, they didn't make enough plays. They didn't make enough uh, uh, third down stopping tackles. And as a result, it put more pressure on Herbert to bail them out. And mo- most of the time, um, sometimes he did, sometimes he didn't. And, you know, head coach Brandon Staley deserves some blame too. Um, you know, his specialty is defense after all, but yet his defense was one of the worst in the league. So, in the end, they once again clippered up. LA Chargers clipper up, huh? You know, like Power Rangers. They clippered away a promising season, and they could have made the playoffs. I'm not saying they could have made the Super Bowl, by all means, but, you know, it, it could have been a promising season for the LA Chargers, and they clippered it away. So now, they're going to an offseason. 
Brandon Staley in the front office, they got to regroup. They they can't let that happen again in 2022. They have some money to spend, around $56 million. Um, some of their key free include Dustin Hopkins, their kicker that they signed midseason, uh, Chris Harris at corner, Jared Cook, um, Christian Covington. They're slated to pick at number 17 in the draft. Um, they have to improve that defensive line, though, the interior defensive line. They've done one portion of that by trading for Bears linebacker Khalil Mack. Um, and they really didn't have to give up too much for him, um, only a second and third round pick. So that's good news for the Chargers. And it almost certainly helped uh, Joey Boza on the opposite end of the pass rush. But obviously, more work has to be done in the interior. So the Chargers, um, while they'll hope to, that Khalil Mack can produce it, I think Khalil Mack is 30. But they should go out, get some depth in the interior defensive line in order for LA to be a better uh, run defensive unit. And then they got to improve it, the cornerback group. Tackling was a weak spot for Asante Samuel Jr., but really good in coverage. So you got to help them out by get getting, I'm not, I'm not saying that they're going to be able to get like a guy like Stephon Gilmore or JC Jackson or Carlton Davis or, I don't know, Javarius Ward. But they have to invest in at least a good corner and maybe some depth behind that position because they were booty cheeks in 2021. Do you want, do they really want to be booty cheeks in 2022? Does Randy Silly really want to see his defense beat ass this fall? Does he? So the, the, the defense has to be the main concern. The, the defense has to be the primary uh, uh, addressing point for the Chargers in 2022. Sure, they can go out and get a tight end, get a better tight end uh, to replace Jared Cook. But the defense, if the Chargers want to bounce out Justin Herbert's rapid growth, rapid improvement, and they want him to have a very successful year three, they got to get a defense. And if they do all that, they could they could possibly have Super Bowl aspirations. But if they don't, it's just going to be like 2021 and years pass all over again. LA Chargers, Clipper up. Ha! Morphing into the yellow and blue LA Clippers. So last but not least, we have the Big Easy, which actually is about to become the Big Hard, and that is the New Orleans Saints. For the last four years, New Orleans has been that team for as much talent as they had, just made some critical errors and gotten unlucky. You know, they made a couple of playoff runs um, in recent years, but they've been the most unfortunate recipients of notable playoff moments. Remember the Minneapolis Miracle in 2017 with Case Keenum and Stephon Diggs? Remember the 2018 NC title game with uh, Bradley Roby Coleman uh, Harris, uh, whatever his name was, you know, getting that no call against, uh, I think it was Michael Thomas um, in the NFC championship game. Yeah. The notable, the notable moments that Saints fans are always on the wrong end on. They also came short against the Minnesota Vikings and the Tampa Bay Bucks in 2019 and 2020 respectively. But, you know, at the same time, in, in, they sure you can put them on the back burner of that on the wrong end of playoff moments, but you know, blame can also be placed on the duo of Drew Brees and Sean Payne with them not doing enough, not making enough plays, not making enough calls, um, for them to advance further and go back to the Super Bowl for the first time since their 2010, uh, or the 2009 uh, Super Bowl run. So, going into this offseason, it was presenting a lot of change for the Big Easy, at least a beginning of change for New Orleans. You know, Drew Brees retires 
after 20 years, um, first playing uh, San Diego, then coming to New Orleans in a time where New Orleans really needed it uh, in the wake of Hurricane Katrina. And then, it, aside from that, aside from questions about the quarterback position, you know, they had a very solid roster. Um, they still had a strong offensive line. You had a top back in call, uh, Alvin Kamara, as well as a, def- a defense that possessed Cameron Jordan, Marcus Davenport at the defensive line, and a secondary led by C.J. Gardner-Johnson, Mar- Marshawn Lattimore, and Malcolm Jenkins. But again, questions about the actual quarterback position. You know, it was a battle between Jameis Winston and Taysom Hill pretty much all, all offseason long that went into the preseason, and Jameis Winston ended up winning that battle. And, you know, the Saints were also well, well over the cap. They had absolutely no money to spend. They were over $100 million over the cap. So they they couldn't really spend anything in the offseason. And they only, if, if they did, they only had like short-term deals to hand out. And not only that, they didn't have a, a top option to go to, like, in terms of Michael Thomas, he delayed his ankle surgery to last summer. And initially he was supposed to have a recovery time of six weeks, but then he ended up suffering a setback during the season and he ended up missing the rest of the season. So going to 2021, you know, they, they still had Sean Payne as their head coach, but still a lot of uncertainty facing, facing New Orleans. So they actually started the season in a very unusual, usual way. So Pretty much the uncertainty beginning already for New Orleans. Um, they were affected by Hurricane Ida. They had to go to play their first game of the season against the Green Bay Packers in the land of uh, where else? AEW, All Elite Wrestling. But unlike the Pack, who who apparently bought in into Tony Conman and the Cucka Sucks All Elite BS, Jameis Winston, Sean Payne were like, no, 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 we don't buy into that uh, Carney Spot Orgy bullcrap. They pounded, they whooped on Aaron Rodgers' candy ass in the pack and won the big early upsets of the season. Oh, at least at the time, which obviously motivated the Packers to go on a tear for the rest of the way. But either way, still regardless, it was a, at least it seemed like an early statement for the New Orleans Saints. And during that game, Jameis Winston, perhaps his best his best game um, of his career, five touchdowns, although with the least amount of yards and he pretty much sliced and diced through an unprepared Packers defense, but couldn't replicate that success against a more solid Panthers defense the following week. And then going forward, Saints would get a 50, 50 Jameis experience um, against the likes of the, the Patriots, the Giants, the Seahawks, pretty much the better part of about uh, five, five more weeks. The good thing uh, is Jameis showed good intangibles, good ball placement, good care, nice range throws. The bad Jameis, though, would uh, was just like the one that Tampa Bay saw when he was starting there for the last five years. You know, taking too much time in the pocket, turnovers erratically, and would often get sacked if he had too much time with the ball. So, you know, throughout time, you know, the strong defense that New Orleans had for the last couple of years, you can only hold up for so long, especially when the offense wasn't really doing anything. So when it came um, midseason, when it came to week eight in a very important game for New Orleans against Tampa Bay, they got perhaps one of their biggest wins of the season, but it came at a price. It really came out at a price. 
Um, during that game, James Winston tore his ACL on a horse collar tackle in the second quarter. And while Trevor Simeon, you know, held on um, in relief, he was lost for the season. James Winston was lost for the season and ended up having a big impact on, on the offense. Not only was that the beginning of the Saints' downfall in for the season, but there was a lot more to it. You know, Trevor Simeon sucked ass, completing slightly half of his passes each game he played. Um, but sadly, he was the only option until Taysom Hill could come back from a serious concussion. And yeah, we all know what Ian Book looked like in that Monday night game eventually against the Miami Dolphins um, in back, even in backup duty, like my God. And the receiving cast, no help either because, well, Marcus Callaway, Draquan Smith, either couldn't get open, couldn't catch the ball, or get sizable yards after the catch. Um, Alvin Kamara would miss four games with the ankle injury, and and half of the starting offensive line would also miss time. You also get injuries in the defense, and as I mentioned earlier, Michael Thomas suffered a setback that would lead to him missing the rest of the regular season. So by the time Sean Payne finally turned to Taysom Hill, um, they're they're pretty much do all everything quarterback. The Saints were five and six. They are five and six um, going to December. Um, and even with Taysom Hill in the lineup, they were still losing games. Um, they, they were five and seven um, when they last lost to the Dallas Cowboys. And in that game, Hill looked rattled. He looked reckless. You know, he threw four interceptions in that primetime game. And they, yes, they did win their last three or four heading into an all important week 18 game in Atlanta. But considering the, the teams that they played, Aside from a shutout, a big shutout victory over Tom Brady and the Bucks, um, the offense didn't score. The offense didn't score at all in that game. Um, so they go into that Week 18 finale against Atlanta. S- somehow, surprisingly, they're still in a position for the last playoff spot, but they needed the LA Rams to beat the 49ers at home. And Taysom Hill suffered a, a very bad injury um, in that game that could keep him out of 2022 as well but Trevor Simeon did just enough to stunt the Falcons but by the time the Saints won yeah you all know what happened from there the Rams had already allowed overtime to the 49ers and yeah you all know what happened there the 49ers beat the Rams to clinch their playoff berth and go on their magical Cinderella run so the Saints lost out on the last playoff spot and yeah like I mentioned Taysom Hill Lost in that game to a serious injury. Again, could keep him out for next season. And New Orleans just extended him to a give him, gave him a contract extension for whatever stupid reason. So for the Saints in 2021, despite all the snake biting injuries, somehow stayed alive in, in the playoff race until literally the last hours of the regular season. But this season is going to be defined by a big what if. What if James Winston never got hurt? What if he never suffered that ACL tear in week eight? I mean, I'm not saying that, oh, James Winston's going to be this big, big, crazy quarterback that's going to be comeback player of the year status. But he, he was at least playing pretty good. He looked generally better than he was in Tampa Bay. Um, and he made better plays. He took better care of the football. So it leaves you wondering, would the Saints have made the playoffs had James Winston was healthy instead of the likes of the Philadelphia Eagles or the 49ers? It's, it's a big what if. And when you saw Jameis Winston go out of the lineup with that ACL tear, and despite having one of the better defenses in the NFL, yeah, that offense took a big nosedive. And especially when Alvin Kamara missed those four games, they significantly struggled. And it was already struggling enough without Michael Thomas. But man, 
there was nobody to turn to in that um, offense. They also had kicker troubles throughout the season um, because their usual kicker, Will Lutz, was on season any IR before the season even began. So they went through a big shuffle, a really, like, really endless shuffle of Aldrich Rosas, Cody Parkey, and those are just the names, endless names. They finally settled on Brett Maher, a former kicker for the Dallas Cowboys, but they ended up bringing mixed results. And, you know, for the Saints, they hope they can get Will Lutz back in 2022. So overall, a bit of a surprise for the Saints to go 9-8 in spite of, you know, they lost Drew Brees to retirement in the offseason and the offense production dipped, um, especially after Jameis Winston uh, tore his ACL, lost, lost for the season, and then all the injuries and COVID-19 happened late in the season. So now they face an offseason full of complete uncertainty. They already faced the half uncertainty in in the 2021 offseason. Now they face complete uncertainty this offseason because Sean Payne stepped down as head coach uh, and taking his place is defensive coordinator Dennis Allen. Um, he has head coaching experience, but not very good one as the Oakland Raiders head coach in 2012 and 2014. And not only that, they still remain over the cap by a big margin. Now, they did restructure some contracts, but um, I don't know how they're going to financially make some wiggle room um, when free agency begins. And I don't know if they're going to be able to spend during free agency. So they have some things to figure out. They have to figure out who's going to be their anti quarterback. Are they going to be able to resign James Winston? They also have to figure out receiver and a bunch more. So the big question is, is it about to get messy in NOLA? So, like I said, going to the offseason, they have about, yeah, at the time of this, m- around minus 49 million. Yeah, that's the that's the biggest of reds um, when it comes to cap space. Now, obviously, they may have lowered it um, by this point um, because by this point, um, when free agency starts, all teams have to be um, under the cap. So they have to be you know free of any charges um, in layman's terms. Some of the key free agents include Jameis Winston, Teron Armstead, the tackle, Jordan Mills. So two key offensive linemen um, going to be free agents. Linebacker Quan Alexander and free safety Marcus Williams. They're currently slated to pick 18th in the draft, and they have a, uh, some team needs to address. Um, they, they obviously got to find a way to get under the cap <laughs> even when their new league year begins. So how, however they do that, restructures, um, extensions, Find a way to do it. They also should re-sign uh, Jameis Winston. Or who knows? Maybe they could go after someone like Deshaun Watson. Depending on how the money plays out. How, what their uh, draft stock, uh, draft picks look like. Who knows? Like, who knows uh, what's in store for New Orleans? They can either go for a bridge option like Jameis Winston. Or try to go put a package together for Deshaun Watson. But either way, they have to do something. And they also have to restructure Taysom Hill's stupid-ass contract. Four years, forty million. That can go up to like I think it's like eighty million. Really? What the hell? <laughs> and then, last but not least, they have to address the wide receiver position. Um, now, Michael Thomas hasn't played a game since I think 20, 2020. If that is, is that correct, twenty twenty, two years away from the game. Holy shit! So the Saints are really banging on Michael Thomas to get back to at least some form of his production from the last time he played. But even then, the Saints have to get some help, whether it's in the bargain bin free agency market or in the draft. So either way, they have to get some help behind or even in front of Michael Thomas because 
Marcus Callaway and Traquan Smith aren't going to get it done for you um, in 2022. And I guess you can also try to resign uh, Teron Armstead um, because you need to solidify the offensive line and get some more pieces around there too. So for New Orleans, you know, they enjoy the good times like they do in New and how you do it in New Orleans, Louisiana, enjoying some Popeye's chicken um, and, and you know, letting the good times roll in the last decade with a Super Bowl win in 2010 and several playoff appearances in the late 2010s. But you got to consider the following. They lost both Drew Brees and Champagne in the span of two off seasons. They're well over the salary cap. Um, and who knows if they're able to spend on nearly anything, including their key in-house free agents and adding at key positions. So for New Orleans, if they're not able to do anything in the offseason, if they're not able to address key free agents, um, if they don't nail the right uh, picks in the draft, and they, let alone they can't even get Jameis Winston back, then damn, things are about to get big hard in the big easy. Actually, not so big easy for the New Orleans Saints in 2022 and perhaps even beyond that. So that is it for part three of my NFL 2021 season recaps part number three. And well, those were the six teams that were ever so close to reaching the playoffs. But then they went out and pulled a Jim Mora and were like, playoffs? Playoffs? What's a playoffs? So... Could they get there next year? We will see. But as evident through my recaps, who knows? Maybe not. <laughs> but what, if you're a fan of these, either one of these teams that I talked about, let me know how you'll feel about them, um, whether it's in 2021 or maybe in 2022 uh, this year. Um, and we're pretty much done with all the non-playoff teams, the, the teams that didn't make the postseason. So let me know about your thoughts about any of the teams, the non-playoff teams that I discussed. And throughout the rest of the way we're gonna be talking about all the playoff teams um next episode we're gonna be talking about uh the six wildcard teams that lost in the first round pretty much so looking forward to that looking forward to discussing the wildcard teams in the next episode of very cold lasagna but that's it for this episode of very cold lasagna episode number 95 of this freezy cold podcast that houses the icy and spicy lasagna Make sure you tune into the show however you can and wherever you get your podcasts, be it YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor FM, and Google Podcasts. And follow the show on social media, on Twitter and Instagram at Very Cold Lasagna. Keep that lasagna very cold in the fridge. Your takes on the world of pro wrestling and sports in the fridge with that icy and spicy lasagna. And until next time, peace out.